Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be giving my commentary on Seeking Sister Wife, Season 4, Episode 13, No Kiss Friends. The episode opens with the F's family. Marcus and his wives, Taryn and India, are sitting around the fire pit. His wives each have drinks, but Marcus has a big-ass handle of liquor, and he's chugging straight from the bottle, just the way a teenager would. He's at his own home, chugging a huge full bottle of liquor. It looks like whiskey or rum, maybe it's cognac. Baby T-Rex is drinking from his bottle. It's so tacky, why couldn't Marcus get a glass? Also, it's a full, brand new, extra large, Costco-sized bottle of liquor. So one has to assume that Marcus will be using that to make drinks later for guests. That T-Rex backwash in there is just an added mixer, I guess. I don't know if Marcus is just a big drinker or if he has an issue, but almost every scene this guy is in, he has a drink. At Janae's, he brought her a bottle and he opened it himself the second he got there. So I don't know, but for a much older man to be chilling with his wives, drinking straight from a full handle at his own home, it's very weird, especially that it's a huge handle. He's either too lazy to get a glass or he thinks he looks cool. Maybe at 15 or 16, his friends would think so, but at 40 plus, sitting in his home with his wives, chugging directly from a full handle, it's super weird. Get a fucking glass so everyone else who makes drinks with that bottle doesn't get the joy of T-Rex backwash, Marcus's spit, as an added bonus in their hurricane or Long Island iced tea or whiskey on the rocks, whatever it is that he's drinking. Marcus is dating Janae and Bina, and for most polygamists, dating is an expedited process. But for the Eps, they have kids, they have a ready-made family. They are serious about this, so they want to make sure they take their time. So Marcus is back and forth as to what to do with Bina and Janae. Taryn asks, since Bina is in another city and she has a thriving business, if Marcus were to get more serious with her, she wonders, how realistic is it for Bina to relocate? India thinks that's a great point because it would be the same thing for Janae. Marcus says he wants to be mindful of all that. He tells that to India and she says she knows the way he is. Marcus wants to appear to be very thoughtful, but the person he thinks of first is himself, of course. India thinks with Janae and the way Marcus sprung his wives on her that she wouldn't have accepted that. She put herself in Janae's shoes, wondering would she have accepted it? India says she definitely would not have entertained it, especially not with Marcus already having two women that she would have to figure out and get along with. India says with she and Marcus... It was different, and when he introduced polygamy to her, they already had a relationship established. Taryn admits they all just fell into polygamy. India says if the same scenario played out with herself and Janae, she doesn't think she would have made it through that first date. There probably wouldn't have been a second date. Marcus says though he is attracted to Janae and Bina, he likes them both, He loves the conversations with them, and they are his go-to on some shit, and he is their go-to on some shit. He doesn't have that all-over feeling about either one of them. He isn't going to jump into anything with Bina or Janae right now. 
Taryn was getting the feeling with Bina and Janae that it could go the route of them just being good friends. And she knows it didn't start out that way with herself and Marcus, but she asks Marcus, aren't we best friends now? And feels the best thing about their relationship is that they are friends. So she tells Marcus to not see that as a bad thing. Marcus tells Taryn that she just put it in perspective and maybe this is the best case scenario. Marcus thinks Taryn is right to speak about the foundation of their relationship being friendship, and he has a strong friendship with Bina and Janae. So even if it doesn't work out with adding these women as wives to his family, these are strong bonds that he can continue for his whole life. Marcus wants the freedom, though, to still continue to look for potential wives. He wants India and Taryn's blessing. He turns to India and he tells her that he and Taryn want her blessing so he can continue dating. Marcus says as he has gone through the courting process with Bina and Janae, there have been some hiccups. Some moments in time where he has seen that India isn't comfortable. They flash back to the conversation with Marcus, Taryn, and India about when Marcus should be able to have sex to the scene of India telling Marcus she doesn't want another wife living there with them. India gives Marcus her blessing. Since he started this process in order to look, she thinks he should just keep looking. She probably knows he's not going to stop seeing people anyway. Taryn thinks they will find the perfect third wife. She feels a third wife would already enhance what they have. She says they all have so much love to give, so it would be dope to get another bond the way the three of them have. But the bottom line is, right now, they are all three comfortable in their current family. How it is. India is hopeful, but there's no rush and they can take their time to make sure it's the best outcome. Taryn tells Marcus he isn't in a committed relationship with Janae or Bina, so he is free to still explore options. If he isn't yet at the point to be exclusive with either Janae or Bina. Marcus agrees, that's where his head is at. Of course, more cake and access to more cake. Marcus says they will get this shit right eventually. And he says this courting process has been an interesting ride and they are solidified now in knowing that this is what they wanna do. Marcus says, even with all the hiccups, there are still hiccups in monogamy too, and they are still looking for their forever person, and they toast to the search. They are still searching, but in the meantime, Taryn wants to focus on the wedding. India and Marcus are getting married, and they are having a ceremony to solidify their relationship and India's place in their family. India says it's been a long time coming and she's super excited. TLC did us really dirty with their teaser at the end of last episode when they edited it to look like Marcus and Taryn were asking India for permission to marry both Janae and Bina. That's not at all what happened. But after all, with TLC, we shouldn't be too shocked. TLC loves to deceive and sensationalize. And look at their leading men that they feature. People like Josh Duggar, and we know what he did, and it's beyond sick and disturbing. We have Cody Brown with the toxic way he treats his family, his wives and kids. We have Dimitri Snowden, who has DV allegations, allegedly. And Marcus, who was involved in a homicide investigation that took place at a party he threw 
on a foreclosed property belonging to the government. And he also has past DV stuff, allegedly. So we shouldn't be too shocked that TLC likes to totally deceive with their edits if they don't even do their homework on who they feature on their TV shows. First off, there may be hiccups in monogamy, but far less than in polygamy. Second, I think India doesn't really want Marcus to continue dating. She agreed, but her face and her eyes said otherwise. And I think Marcus realized that Janae and Bina are way too intelligent and independent for him. And he understood that he can't control Bina. She won't allow him to clip her wings. And Janae is the exact same way, an intelligent, strong, independent woman. And I think he obviously had sex with Janae last time. So now he got his cake and he knows she isn't into living polygamy and the chase is over. So he wants to still date to find women who he can control and bend and manipulate. And Janae and Bina are far too strong, intelligent and independent for that bullshit. And that's why Marcus is now saying he probably doesn't want to pursue it. The reason Marcus wants to keep dating has nothing to do with him actually wanting to find a third wife to add to the family. He just wants access to women and sex. I think Marcus is a really insecure guy on the inside who wants to try and project otherwise. And sex makes him feel better about himself. And he seems to drink a lot, too. This guy isn't interested in polygamy at all. He wants a family life and his household taken care of as he also still wants to go out and live almost like a single guy. And he knows he can't keep it in his pants and be with his wives. He wants more, probably because he gets all his worth from sex and because it's almost like an addiction for him. It's an impulse to quell. Next up are the Merrifields. The translator, Roberta, Danielle, and Garrick head to dinner. Garrick has on a red shirt and a bolo tie. He looks absolutely ridiculous as Roberta and Danielle both wear black. And Garrick is pale and pacey as fuck with his small beady eyes and his whispery voice. I feel like Garrick should get fangs implanted. That would go great with his creepy whispery voice and his pasty skin. He looks sickly. It's their last night in Brazil and Garrick is feeling very optimistic about how things are going. It feels calming sitting down to have dinner for Danielle, knowing that they have booked Roberta's ticket. It feels like they can now get refreshed and have fun together. Marcella, the translator, asks how Garrick is feeling now, and he says it's sad that they had miscommunication in the past and that everybody's feelings got hurt. Was it just miscommunication, or did Garrick intentionally spring the potential third wife on Roberta before discussing it with her or giving her a voice in the matter. And then, did Garrick lie knowingly to Danielle, telling her Roberta was okay with it? That's not miscommunication. Garrick lied, and he manipulated the situation. He shut Danielle up by saying Roberta was good with it when he knew she wasn't. Roberta wasn't given a choice in the matter. Garrick just called one day and said, meet Leah, our potential third. Roberta feels better now that they had a conversation about it because a weight has been lifted from off of her chest. She feels calmer now because she is sure from now on they will all make all of the decisions together, the three of them. Danielle agrees they will decide as a family. Roberta says in a polygamous family, she imagines that it would be normal 
for everyone involved to agree with the addition of someone else into the family. Danielle feels confused because they explained many times that they were just getting to know someone with the dating a third wife. Garrick tells the translator that on their behalf, they understood that even at that time, but it came across that Roberta wasn't even open to he and Danielle just talking and getting to know the person. Garrick thinks there was a double confusion. Roberta says she always made it clear in her messages that she was open to that, but at that moment, she wished they would wait until she got to the U.S. Danielle says Roberta is bringing this back up again and saying that she doesn't want them dating and that she was not happy with the fact that they dated Leah. Danielle says they thought that they put this behind them, so it leaves she and Garrick very confused that Roberta is going back and saying that she still doesn't want them dating. Danielle starts tearing up and she tells Roberta, it's never our timing, it's God's timing. Is Danielle drinking the Kool-Aid now too, that God has led them to polygamy and she wants to now use God to manipulate Roberta into acquiescing, but Roberta isn't going to allow it, I hope. She says no, she did not think it was God bringing Leah into their lives. And she says she said that and she was clear about it from the start. Danielle says God didn't bring Leah to be a wife, but God brought Leah to them in that moment to get to know her. And Roberta says, yeah, but that was not the intention. The intention was actually that she would be a potential third wife, not just to get to know her. Danielle says there are so many alarms going off in her head and she is wondering what Roberta's intention is in bringing all of this up right now. Roberta asks, how could Garrick not want things to go further with Leah if they were just friends? They wouldn't have had to go on a date alone. And Garrick says there was no intimacy at all. And Danielle says there was a kiss. And Roberta says, yeah, intimate kisses. No kisses, friends. Meaning, of course, you don't kiss your friend. Roberta says she didn't know that it had gone that far and that Garrick and Leah had kissed. Roberta tells Danielle and Garrick that she only kisses people she wants to be intimate with. She says friends don't kiss on the mouth and friends don't feel the desire for each other. For her, it had just been a conversation and she is surprised that she didn't know that they were going out privately, that they were kissing. She tells Garrick if he knew that she wasn't okay with him dating Leah, why would he think that she would be okay with him kissing her? Roberta didn't know about them kissing before, and she is very hurt to find out about it now on their last day in Brazil. Roberta excuses herself to go for a walk to clear her head, and Danielle and Garrick wipe away tears. In my opinion, Danielle and Garrick seem annoyed and frustrated that Roberta won't just shut up about this and accept that narrative that God has led Leah to them at that moment. They want Roberta to just excuse it. They seem pissed because they discussed this once and they expected it to just be over. It can't just be over for Roberta. She told Garrick no to Leah after he shocked her with Leah on a FaceTime call without having a talk with her first about dating a third wife or listening to her voice and having her voice matter to him. Instead, Danielle and Garrick continued pursuing Leah 
and Garrick lied to Danielle, saying Roberta was fine with it, but the whole time Roberta was not fine, and Roberta knows the intention was to marry Leah, almost as a backup plan if she were not going to come to the U.S., and she knows she had no say in the matter, and she wasn't respected as an equal in the relationship who mattered. Danielle and Garrick just ignored her voice when she wasn't in agreement with dating a third. And Garrick lied to Danielle that Roberta was okay with it. And then Garrick said it's unhealthy to bring up the past. They discussed it once. And Danielle and Garrick expected it to be over. They want to be in a relationship where they both have the upper hand over the other wives who join their family. Seemingly have less say than them. When Danielle revealed that Leah kissed Garrick, when Roberta said she was not okay with this and Roberta got mad, Danielle mentioned God to try and make Roberta acquiesce. When Roberta mentioned how all three people have to make all the decisions together in the relationship, Danielle and Garrick were frustrated because in the end, to them, Roberta's voice doesn't matter. They want someone who will go along with them as they call the shots. I love, by the way, how Garrick says it's unhealthy to bring up the past. If there are unresolved issues that need resolving, it's more unhealthy to let things fester and explode later. And it's not unhealthy to work through issues from the past if you have these issues, if they happen to be in the past. This idea of just move forward, ignore the past, it's gone, it's toxic, that's not healthy necessarily. Danielle and Garrick want this to be over because they don't want to be inconvenienced by Roberta and her feelings. They don't actually care if they did. They would not mind talking about this and they would understand how Roberta feels. Garrick also lied to Danielle about how Roberta felt about it. I think Roberta is realizing she will not matter. She will not have an equal voice to Garrick and Danielle. And she realizes not only did Garrick force Leah on her, he lied to Danielle on where she stood about it, and she probably sees that Garrick is a manipulator. He will lie, he will control, he will manipulate, and she probably also doesn't want to come to the U.S. So now is the time to air out her grievances, since before she was getting money. And I don't blame Roberta for that. I think Roberta was down to join the family. But when she saw how Garrick and Danielle handled dating a third wife against her wishes and how Garrick just sprung it on her without her mattering enough to consult first, and then she saw he lied to Danielle about how she felt about it, now Roberta is learning that he kissed Leah too and it's something else to add to the grievances she has. So she doesn't have to come to the U.S. And I don't think she wants to come to the U.S. I think she also knows she will never be an equal and she sees the manipulations and the lies and the control and the dynamics of this and she knows probably in the back of her mind it's not for her. I do think Roberta waited to the last minute to air her grievances in case she wanted to justify not coming to the U.S. But I also don't blame her for how she played this. I think Roberta was more down to come before they started courting third wives without consulting her first or getting her approval. Who would join a family knowing that they won't be heard or considered as an equal? And if Roberta got some money in the process to help herself and her family, oh well. I don't think her initial intention was ever to milk Garrick and Danielle. I think after she saw how she would not count, she said she would see about this and she communicated less. And when they came and she sees the reality and she's already reluctant, she's probably in her, the back of her mind thinking that's it. 
I don't know if she's going to come to the U.S. I don't think ultimately she will come to the U.S. And I don't blame her if she doesn't come, to be honest, because I think she deserves way better than Garrick and Danielle. By the way, Roberta has a dress on that's killer, and it looks like it was made for her. It looks great on her. And I think deep down, Roberta has a very sweet heart, and I think she is way smarter than she looks or than she seems. And I think she knows what's up with Garrick and Danielle. And Garrick and Danielle really don't seem to care how Roberta feels. They just care that she is easy and convenient and that she keeps sweet and that she doesn't inconvenience them too much and that she doesn't get in the way of what they want with her feelings. If they cared about Roberta, they would not even be seeing a third wife before she arrived, in my opinion, especially without her approval. And Roberta was correct to point out that it wasn't just about getting to know Leah. The intention was to make her a wife and Garrick wouldn't kiss someone unless there was a desire and an intention to do more and for Leah to be a wife. And they totally intended to make Leah a wife. Leah and Garrick discussed the dynamics of the home and how she worked and how that would work within the family. So it wasn't just about getting to know a friend. Danielle and Garrick had absolutely every intention to marry Leah if things went well. And they don't get to walk it back now. Berta might be bringing all this up now last minute because she wants to end it or avoid moving to the U.S. But I say more power to her. When she spoke to Garrick on the phone, he wasn't listening to her anyway. Next up are the Foley's. They're bringing some boxes to the new house. Steve is excited to walk through the home, picturing everyone there, imagining how everyone will interact. They had a crazy last year selling their old house and building this new one. Right at the beginning, when everything was happening, they met April. So April has been through all of this with Steve and Brenda. And April is still here. Steve thinks the house is a perfect analogy for where they are all at in their relationship now because the house is there. The foundation is good. It's almost done. And the relationship with April is just like that. It's almost at the point they want it to be. Steve feels close to asking April to take the next step with them. He thinks April would say yes. Brenda can see April living there eventually, but she doesn't know when the time frame would be. In the beginning, Brenda and April had a lot of trouble trusting each other. Brenda's relationship with April has improved after so much talking. She says you have to put the time in if you want something to work. And Brenda thinks she and April both do want it to work. So they're trying to be there for each other. And it shows because they're doing a lot better now. Steve has another big concern, and that's having kids. It's a big step for them and for their kids. Preston has been open to the relationship because Steve is happy. He is happy for him. With Jaden, she was very reactionary to their relationship. But Jaden and Steve have had a lot of conversations about the lifestyle and their relationship, and Jaden is starting to open up. And Steve wants to introduce Jaden to April because there will be fireworks when they meet. And Steve hopes it will be for a celebratory reason. I don't know about that. And I love Jaden. I like how Jaden is very expressive. She's very clear. She says how she feels. She has no qualms about it. And she doesn't give a fuck how her dad feels about it. She's very open with how she feels. And she wants her dad to understand how she feels. 
and her dad doesn't really, I don't think, get it 100%. And so hopefully she's talking to him and he's slowly getting it more and more. I don't know. But I would love to see more Jaden. I think the show could use more Jaden because Jaden says it like it is. I think that's awesome. I think that Jaden and Preston deserve a lot more from their dad and their dad's priority should be establishing a good relationship with the kids he does have rather than being so focused on dating and bringing on a new wife and having more kids. He should first fix and establish the relationships that he has with his kids before he does that. But he seems to really want to try a a fresh start at life. Brenda says April is younger. So she wonders, can she not only be a sister wife, but can she be a parent? And Steve thinks that's a good question. He says before they can officially ask April to move in, they still have some hesitations because it's becoming a part of a family. It's becoming a part of an existing family. And so there are a lot of stresses that come along with it. And Steve says they have to feel comfortable that April is ready to take this on. So that's going to be their next conversation with April. He wants April to show himself and Brenda that she wants this as much as they do. Brenda says they will continue to work on their relationship with April so they all feel they are being fulfilled in this relationship And so they know that this is exactly what they want. Steve asks Brenda, will we ask April to move in? When will we ask? Stay tuned, he says. Back to the Merrifields, Roberta takes a break and she goes for a walk and she excuses herself at dinner. Garrick is confused about what's going on because this is in the past. He doesn't think that kissing Leah was pushing any boundaries. He thinks Roberta is overreacting and it doesn't make sense. Why Roberta is mad about this. Roberta is in tears. She says it's strange because today she felt left out and she needs to pray about it and calm her heart. Danielle and Garrick are comforting each other. Her worry is that they have talked about putting rules down like no kissing, no this, no that. And she says she knows there are boundaries. Garrick says they have to know boundaries and they should set them together as a family. Danielle feels like Roberta wasn't open to Leah to begin with, so that created this issue. Danielle feels like Roberta's feelings are legitimate, but she doesn't think it's the end of the road since they already booked the ticket. Danielle and Garrick don't seem too worried about Roberta and her feelings. They seem to be blaming Roberta for how she feels. And Danielle is saying Roberta created this by not being open to Leah when she was given no choice in the matter. And I love how they both just seem to be concerned with getting Roberta over to the U.S., making kids for them. And Danielle saying it's not the end. They booked the ticket as if Roberta is an object to secure. Roberta is a human being. Roberta has feelings. And Garrick and Danielle both seem selfish and only concerned with getting what they want out of the situation, which is not to be inconvenienced by Roberta's feelings and getting Roberta over to the U.S. So all the trouble and the money they invested in this will be worth it for them and they can get what they want out of it. It doesn't feel like they love and care for Roberta every time Roberta has an issue with them. It feels transactional and like they expect Roberta to put up with being lied to, controlled, and manipulated. And even Danielle brought up God to try and make Roberta shut up because it inconveniences Garrick and Danielle that Roberta has feelings. 
If Garrick said, listen, I lied to you, Danielle, and I told Danielle that Roberta was okay with this. Roberta, I lied to my wife. I said that you were okay with this, and I sprung Leah on you with a video chat before I mentioned the possibility of dating a third wife before you arrived in the U.S., and before I got your approval, and I'm sorry I fucked up. Roberta would maybe take this slightly better, but instead she got this is the past. It's unhealthy to bring up the past because they both, Garrick and Danielle, both of them, don't want to take accountability for their manipulative behavior, and they want to weasel out of being inconvenienced by Roberta's emotions or really getting to the bottom of any issue she has with them about how this was handled by saying, that's the past. You keep dwelling in the past. It's unhealthy, blah, blah, blah. And they're doing this so they don't have to acknowledge their shit behavior or take any accountability for it. Danielle doesn't know. She says things are unclear, but since they booked the ticket, she doesn't think it's the end of the road. Garrick wants to promise right now that they forget the past and embrace the future. He says they will work through everything as a family. And Roberta agrees. She says she wants to marry Garrick. They have different ways of thinking. So Roberta believes at first it will be a big challenge because both Danielle and Garrick have the same thinking. She has a different way of thinking than they do regarding including one person or another in the family now. Roberta says it will be a challenge, but she loves Garrick. Garrick says, as a Christian family, they love and they forgive each other, and they love and forgive others too, and they work things out. He is committed forever to Roberta, and he says Roberta said she is committed also, so he is confident Roberta will be coming to the U.S. I love how Garrick says they are a Christian family. They love and forgive. Emphasis on forgive, let go of the past. Let go of the fact that I was domineering and manipulative. Let go of the fact that I lied to my wife about your feelings about dating a third wife. We forgive. We let go. It's what God wants. And that's Garrick's way of using God and religion to manipulate the situation and justify just being forgiven without taking accountability. That's Garrick's way to use God and religion to weasel out of accountability for his behavior. There is also the idea that the past is unhealthy. So anytime anyone has a grievance from anything not in that exact moment and they mention it, Garrick will just say it's unhealthy to dwell on the past. Just move forward as a way of burying it in the sand. Next up are the Davises. Danielle meets with her friend. Danielle has a new job. It's going well, we learn. And Danielle wants to have a heart-to-heart with her friend. Her friend is an ex-coworker, Ariel. And she wants Ariel's input on her wedding as well. Danielle is excited about the wedding. Ariel doesn't know much about the Davises. She knows that they're polygamists. She knows they have known Danielle for a very short time. And that's all she knows. Danielle takes a sip of what looks like cider. Maybe it's wine or ale. And she makes a face like she doesn't like it. And her friend says it's good. And then she says it's better than she expected when you can tell from her face She didn't like it. Ariel asks Danielle if she is sure that she wants to be with one man and share him for the rest of her life. And Danielle shakes her head yes. Hesitantly, she says, when they all live together, it will be a lot more inclusive. But when they all sleep in the same bed, she is curious to see how that's going to work. 
Ariel clarifies if it means they will all sleep together in a king-size bed. And Danielle says they will have to get a custom-built bed. Ariel says it was very surprising to hear that they all share one bed. She says it's different. Ariel says herself that she couldn't do that. And Danielle says she thought the same thing, but she wouldn't want it to be Nick sleeping with her this night and having a schedule. She says having a schedule isn't very inclusive. Ariel asks if they will have separate areas for intimacy, and Danielle explains they will have other quarters to have sex in because there will be some nights when someone will want to have sex and she will just want to be going to sleep. She says Nick isn't running out of energy to go about it. Ariel asks Danielle, so there's no jealousy about it? And she asks if Danielle ever feels jealous. Danielle admits there are moments of jealousy where she has to step back and reevaluate and say, this is how she is feeling and this is how it really is in reality. Let's move on. Ariel says to each their own and she knows it's personal to them, but Ariel doesn't think she could ever do it. She says it seems unconventional and being in a relationship is totally different than being with however many more people are involved. Ariel is worried that this is fast and that Danielle might think she is good, but find out later she wasn't so sure about this. Danielle says they are set up good, and Ariel asks if there is a limit as to how many wives they would take on. And Danielle says, oh yeah, there wouldn't be more than another two women in their relationship. Wait, wouldn't it be three women technically because Danielle has to marry the next woman that comes along, and then they have to change their last names to Davis. And then if they got one more woman, who would she marry to take Nick's name on with? Because Nick isn't going to marry her, so there would need to be a third woman, I would think. Danielle says herself that it's crazy, and she wonders, can she really get along with these women sometimes? And then she thinks to herself, yes, she can. She loves women, and she loves Nick. And she says, with all of their incomes and all of them coming together, and all of their knowledge, they can do so much more than the average household. And it's not just all about the money. She says Nick doesn't work. And Ariel looks shocked. Her eyes damn near pop out of her head at that tidbit. Danielle says Nick doesn't bring a dollar into this relationship. Ariel says Danielle is telling her Nick doesn't work and she feels uncomfortable about it. She feels that it's weird to have four people in a house and to have one of them just completely not work, especially the male of the house. Ariel tells Danielle she feels like it's weird There are three women, especially a pregnant woman, who are all working as Nick sits at home. She asks Danielle, is he bettering himself by staying at home or is he just sitting on his ass all day? Great question. Danielle says Nick spends a lot of his time reading and writing and he is so knowledgeable about math and science and different aspects of life. And eventually Nick will be able to share that knowledge with their kids all day and ariel rolls her eyes here like w t f ariel asks danielle you still don't feel like he would need to do something productive and danielle says ariel is grilling her right now and she says those questions about nick's employment can be kind of hard to answer because she gets defensive because she doesn't want nick to be seen in some negative lazy light when it's not that at all
Danielle tells Ariel she is happy for Nick to be able to live his life comfortably, and they're able to provide for him like he provides for them. And she doesn't want it to get mixed up, like why don't the women stay home? Danielle says they don't want to stay home, they want to work. And Danielle tells Ariel she wants Nick to be able to wake up and read and write and to spend time talking to his brother and to be able to spend time doing nothing. Ariel thinks Danielle is being manipulated and it's an interesting way of seeing someone thinking that they are too smart to work. Amen, sister. Ariel feels like even the smartest people in the world have had some type of job. Ariel tells Danielle she is concerned that Danielle says she is ready. And she says she knows exactly what she is getting into, but maybe she doesn't. And Danielle says that's a valid perspective because it all has been super fast. And there are times when she is nervous and when she's scared and she thinks her life is serious right now. But she asks herself, would she want it any other way? And she answers her own question saying no. Ariel says to each their own, but she would never do this herself. And she's worried about Danielle getting her heart broken and feeling pushed back to the side or pushed back burner because someone else joined the family or someone else is more cared for or loved or has more sexual intimacy with Nick or any of the other people in the group. Ariel feels Danielle is going into this way too fast. Ariel is a great friend. She is smart and she maybe is more mature than Danielle. She brought up some very great points that are valid and it was disturbing to watch Danielle make excuses for Nick not working as the man of the house as the women work and pay for him. All because he is too smart to work, allegedly. Nick manipulated three women to view him as a king and as a superior intellectual to them. And he got them on board with working to support him and what they are building as he sits on his ass pretending he is the smartest person in the room when really he is just the most manipulative. And when Ariel mentioned Nick not working, Danielle tried to twist it like she is woke and it's condescending to expect that the woman would want to stay at home and have the man pay for them and that they would want to not work when it has absolutely nothing to do with that and it has nothing to do with gender roles. This is about Nick taking advantage of three women and letting them work to pay for him while he gets all the sex's heart desires and he can sit on his ass all day. He's a master manipulator who has it made for himself. Women can work if they want to. That's no problem at all. But it is a problem when three women are out working as the man is being kept by them sitting on his ass, probably jacking off to Pornhub all day, then reading a few articles on quantum physics, Googling it, to then regurgitate to his wives at dinner, or him writing some bullshit poem or intellectual piece that only his wives would be impressed by. It's total bullshit, and Danielle is going to regret this big time when she realizes what she got herself into as she matures, in my opinion. Next up are the Joneses. Sidian is back home after meeting Ariel in person in the Philippines. Leaving Ariel was difficult. Tasha says the next big step with Ariel is getting her to come to the U.S., and while they are doing that, they are going to sit down with the kids and tell them about the proposal. They want to see how the kids feel about Ariel. The kids are aware that Sidian and Tasha are courting a potential sister wife, but because she lives on the other side of the world, the kids haven't gotten to meet Ariel in person yet. The plan was supposed to be to introduce Ariel to the kids before the proposal, 
but they had to propose sooner, so it's a little backwards from what they were planning. Tasha and Sidian are going to explain to the kids and see what their reaction is. Sidian explains that he got to know Ariel much better on the trip, so he proposed to her. And he explains to his youngest child, Tyrion, what a proposal means. Tyrion is okay with it, and Sidian tells the kids that Ariel really likes kids. So now they're going to do a video chat with Ariel so they can officially meet her. Sidian is nervous because he needs the kids to be really integrated with this and for them to feel like they are a part of it and not like something that is happening to them. Tasha explains that having your kids accept a new partner in a polygamous family is really important. She says both kids are at an age where if they feel uncomfortable, the relationship ultimately won't work out. Sidian asks Tyrion if Ariel seems nice in front of her, so of course he says yes. Liam thinks Ariel is nice and they are excited to meet her. Liam thinks more moms, more help, more presents on Christmas. Perfect. After they hang up, Sidian asks the kids if they think Ariel seems nice. Liam says yes. Tyrion has no questions about Ariel. Liam suggests they will need a bigger house and Tasha and Sidian agree. Tasha explains this will take a long time for Ariel to get here. It might take a year or so. Sidian says the next step when it comes to the K-1 visa process is going to take at least a year and it's going to be tough with lots of complications for them to work through to get Ariel to the U.S. But the payoff is huge. It's everything he and Tasha have been working for and waiting for. And so Sidian can't wait. Liam says it's a bit weird talking to Ariel once through a video call and then all of a sudden, a year later, they are going to be living with her. Tasha says they're going to try to do some family vacations to meet Ariel in person before she comes to the U.S. Tasha thinks their seeking journey has been long and full of failures. So to get to this point, finally, with someone they adore, who they are super excited about, it feels really good. It's a relief. Sidian says it validates everything they did to get here, the failures, just the costs of getting to where they want to be. Tasha lets the kids know if anything changes or if they have any questions, they can always just ask. Um, double checks that they aren't in any trouble. I wonder if Liam has a guilty conscience. In the beginning of the family meeting when they did the video call, Liam asked if they were in trouble and now they are reconfirming that they aren't in trouble. So I wonder what Liam has a guilty conscience about. I want to commend Sidian and Tasha with how they handle the kids. Tasha said if the kids aren't good with this, it's not going to go forward. It won't work out. And both Sidian and Tasha seem very open to allow the kids to express their feelings and to communicate and to ask questions as well. And both Sidian and Tasha seem to really prioritize the kids. And I think that that's wonderful and I love the way they handled this. And we know that Sidian is a very caring father because he moved to Portland so Liam would have a more accepting and open environment and community. And he seems very invested in the kids along with Tasha. And they both seem very willing to pump the brakes if the kids were not good with this. The kids are their priority and I think that's absolutely amazing and that's how it should be. And I love the way Tasha communicated with the kids. 
She was calm. She was clear. She was understanding. And both Sidian and Tasha seem to make it very clear that their kids matter. Their kids are their priority. Their kids have a voice and their voice matters. And they will listen to their kids' feelings and thoughts. And I think that's wonderful. Wow. Back to the Merrifields. They're packing to go home. And Garrick and Roberta are hugging as Roberta tells Garrick she loves him. And it's one month. Today, Garrick and Danielle are leaving Brazil, and Roberta has promised that she is coming. They book the ticket, and Garrick feels really good about things. But after last night, he feels that things are going to have to be communicated much better. Garrick says he can tell definitely there was a misunderstanding. Garrick is glad it all came out because now it shows they have to discuss things, and they can all make sure they're communicating better and working these things out together as a family. Roberta says, although it's something difficult for her because of her mother, this is the time to move on with her life, with her family, with her husband, and with her sister in coming to the U.S. Garrick and Roberta are crying, and Garrick wipes away Roberta's tears, and Danielle says, this reminds her how God says he holds all our tears in a bottle. She asks, could you imagine Roberta's bottle of tears? And Garrick acknowledges it's going to be a really big bottle. Danielle says, Roberta truly cares and loves her. And Roberta loves Garrick and she cares about him immensely. So Danielle is excited to know that Roberta is going to be able to leave her mom and come to Colorado. Danielle is in tears and she hogs Roberta goodbye. And she begs and she pleads with her. Please don't let anything stop you. Get on the plane. Please promise. As Roberta wipes away Danielle's tears. Danielle says, in spite of everything that has happened on this trip, all of the ups and downs and all of the emotions, they are a family and they are united and they are moving forward together. Danielle admits she had doubts in the beginning, but she thinks... Seeing Roberta has definitely given her a relief that Roberta is coming to Colorado. Garrick says Roberta loves him and she's his wife, and he knows Roberta is super happy and excited to be with them in Colorado. Danielle and Garrick hug, and as Garrick sobs, Danielle tells him she is coming. Is she really, though? The way Danielle was sobbing, begging Roberta to promise to get on that plane... That was about Danielle knowing that if Roberta doesn't come, she will lose Garrick. And Garrick won't hesitate to build a family in Brazil with Roberta splitting his time between Roberta and Danielle. It's not about Danielle loving Roberta and wanting her there. It seems to me that Danielle knows she will lose Garrick if Roberta doesn't come to the U.S. So Roberta has to get on that plane for Danielle to keep Garrick around all the time. Next time on Seeking Sister Wife. It's Danielle's wedding ceremony, and Jennifer is helping Danielle with her hair. And she asks how Danielle is feeling. And Danielle is scared shitless right now. Danielle says none of her family will be able to attend the ceremony, and she is a little sad that they aren't able to come. Nick's brother, or dad, I'm guessing that's his dad, says this is different. People would think that Nick is in a pimping situation, or that black guy that got them all mesmerized. Nick looks absolutely ridiculous, by the way. He has a suit on with his pendant that he always wears and a pimp hat cocked to the side that really doesn't suit him at all. 
Garrick and Danielle are getting their sister room set up in preparation for Roberta's arrival. Garrick can't believe it. He's emotional. Danielle, too. She says it's been three and a half years. Danielle is feeling nervous about the unknown and about change. She says change can be difficult sometimes. Garrick says it's been a long time that this has been in the works. It's been a long time waiting. Sam and Samantha come over and Samantha is very emotional. She hugs Garrick and she tells him she loves him. And even Sam, Danielle's brother, has his hand on Garrick's shoulder. I wonder if that means Roberta doesn't make it. That does it for this episode. I'll be back this week. There isn't going to be book club this week and next week, but I will be covering two rewatch episodes of Sister Wives this week and next week as well instead. And then, of course, I will get back to book club. I will be covering Sister Wives Season 16, Episode 6, No Head Wife, and also Sister Wives Season 16, Episode 7, Choosing Kids Over Cody this week. And next week, I will cover the next episode of Seeking Sister Wife, of course, and also Season 16, Episode 8, Two Clicks, which will complete the full Season 16 playlist, just in time for the new season. And of course, I'll be covering the premiere episode of Sister Wives, Season 17, Episode 1, It's Over. And then the week after, I will resume with Book Club for sure. To my YouTube listeners, please like and subscribe and let me know your thoughts in the comments section if you like. If you're interested in catching up on Season 16, Episodes 1 through 5 and 9 through to the final tell-all episode are all available for Season 16 in my Season 16 playlist on YouTube. I'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Bye!